A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time to walk to the back of the stand where the truth is really told. I'm Mark Saggers, and on the Sunday Night Club, we delve into the sports that matter, the controversial discussions that others aren't brave enough to have. It's been a weekend where Liverpool and Arsenal told Manchester City to go away. Crisis in top refereeing. Have they all lost the plot? Hackett and Halsey blow the whistle. And England's cricketers? Basball. What did happen? Jadeja is what happened, finishing England off Basball or not. And the Americans, well, they've never been able to hold their booze. Should pro golf become party poopers and ban it from the likes of the Phoenix Open? And Tiger, does he really want to retire? It's been a good weekend, though, hasn't it? For Liverpool, who've got four away from home to win, and for Arsenal, who got five, Wolves, who won at Spurs. And somehow Manchester United are creeping ever closer with 44 points to 47 to 49. I don't think they're going to reach the top two by any means. But it will be interesting with still some important games to come. Let's start then with that Manchester United game this afternoon. I thought at times uh, Luton Town were going to get back into it. They had all sorts of opportunities without completely threatening the Manchester United goal, particularly in the second half. Darren Jones, of course, the Luton Town Stadium announcer is with us. Hi, Darren. Hi there, Mark. How are you doing? You OK? Yeah, very well indeed. And Joe Smith, of course, from the Stratford Paddock Fan Channel. Uh, good evening to you as well, Joe. Hello. How are you doing? You OK? Yeah, very, very well indeed. I mean, just for Manchester United and, and you, Joe, first of all, I mean, a, a sigh of relief in the end there. Two up after seven minutes. Here we go. But it could have been a similar story to Maidstone at one stage. Yeah, I don't know what... United's inability to sort of push on from good positions has been something that sort of characterised the whole season. We saw it a few times in the Champions League. We saw it against Wolves a couple of weeks ago. And I know, we, you know, we scraped over the line. I say we scraped. It was a brilliant goal from Kobe Manu on that occasion that got us over the line. But this, we, we, we get to this point where... We play really well, and then we get in in the lead, and then we go right. That's us done now. You know, we'll let you do what you want from here. We let the opposition impart their style of play, their will. And I say let. That's maybe slightly disrespectful to Luton. I thought were well, excellent. They pressed really well. Every time our defenders had the ball, our midfielders had the ball. There were two and three men around them. They played very, very well. But we saw, and you know, just looking at the, the position of the two teams in the league. United have and should have the ability to control games like this. And whether it's Luton... Just losing a little bit there um, of Joe at the moment. We'll come back to you, uh, Joe, in a minute. Darren, um, I think it's going to be the atmosphere around the country at times as well tonight. There's there's all sorts of bits and pieces out there. But uh, Darren, really, 
I mean, apart from that first 14 minutes, you had opportunities. Yeah, you know what? I think that we're, we're really changing the narrative on Luton Town Football Club. I think we have done the whole season. But today, it really does prove that, you know, we're not there to make up the numbers. You know, if I'm being honest, I, I've actually left there gutted today. I'm gutted that the little old Luton Town, as everyone refers to us as, as, as literally, you know, we should have beaten Man United today. We were so unlucky. Um, and it just goes to show exactly what we're doing and, and how well we're going. So, fingers crossed, we can carry on playing the way we are. And um, and we'll get them more points, and we'll be uh, we'll be on the on the show next year as a Premier League team, Mark. Well, you've uh, rejuvenated uh, some of the stars from uh, Premier League gone by, haven't you? Yeah, like Ross Barkley and Andros Townsend have been like absolutely brilliant since they've come in. Um, but obviously, Barkley has been unbelievable. Like you know, I know Luton supporters in their seventies and their eighties, and all saying the same thing. He's got to be one of the most technically technically gifted players to ever wear a Luton shirt. He really is amazing. And um, he, he makes our team tick at the moment. So hopefully he'll carry on. We'll keep him injury free and um, and he'll be firing us up the table. Uh, for Manchester United, Joe, and it's uh, good to have you back and uh, running on all systems yeah. here. Uh, I mean, yep, you've still got three points away from home. Uh, that's what it's about, getting it done. You did have late on or, or certainly midway through the second half, three or four one-on-ones. And the, and the yeah. thing it wouldn't worry me because I'm not a Manchester United fan, but it would worry Manchester United fans. Uh, one-on-ones there, you either took a, a, more of a touch or, or looked at the wrong decision of which way to go, which the great Manchester United side used to finish with those and Van Nistelrooy and others all the time. Yeah, well, this isn't a great United side, is it? No, it's not, no. You know, much like United, then just as, just as things were going well, uh, I cut out, which is sort of very similar to how United have been this season. And we obviously, we've got a lot of young players. I think you look at some of the people, you know, Garnacho was one who was through one-on-one. Um, and I think he's, we're seeing a, a much improved version of him and one that continues to improve over on the right-hand side. Bruno Fernandes, I thought, had a poor game today, but people, I think, are too quick to jump on a Bruno Fernandes, who's been fantastic for United over the last four or five years. Um, but it is odd that, you know, as, as, as uh, you were just saying before, we get these chances and we almost the hard ones and, and easy mm. ones at the moment and it, it's frustrating to watch as a, as a fan but feeling more disappointment than I did happiness because of how the game's gone even though we've won because what, what that means of course is that you can't relax and uh, I know that you know the great Manchester United sides all the way down the, mm. the, the decades have always got it done with flair and style at times uh, and, of course, got it done in the last moments of important matches like that Champions League final and, and many other things. Um, but there is certainly a lot of work to be done to get these players feeling the confidence rather than the pressure, I think, of playing for Manchester United at the moment. Yeah, I do think that we're currently on our best run of form all season. I think we've won six of our last seven, undefeated in those seven as well. Um, which is the sort of run we've not seen all season. So that's good. That's a positive. But confidence, I think people, especially in the sort of modern era, are so obsessed with stats and play styles and management. And and people forget that nothing makes a bigger difference to how players perform and how teams do than confidence. Look at Liverpool last season. They looked, you know, far worse than Man United. They were terrible. And, you know, they've made a few signings and this, that and the other. But now look at them. They're, They're top of the league. And most of that is confidence. Klopp wasn't a bad manager. He wasn't 
telling them bad tactics or not to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, it, you find as well, don't you? That confidence is it, huge, and it's confident. Yeah, not just. Sorry, we're um, we, we're still. It's an interesting point that Joe was going to make there, Darren. I'll come to you as well. Um, Luton Town still very much in at the moment. This Premier League, perhaps they've surprised people, but they deserve to be there. And and one of my great friends in in the game and the wise old Al. It was lovely to see David Pleat there. Uh, he'll know that they're not going uh, anywhere without a fight. And you've got still the opportunity, I think now, with some real uh, experienced heads in the dressing room. Yeah, like, you, you know, we're, we're playing, I think we've got to put it out there, we're playing some really good football. I think we proved that today. Um, the football's going well. And we've got, a, I think we've got a great mix of, of young and experienced players. When you look at the likes of... Um, Mengi, who we brought in actually from Man United, we've then got Yuchongs. We've got all of these young guys, but then them experienced head are just adding to that. But they've got so much energy and so much desire. And um, yeah, 110%, like like in the David Pete days, we, we will not be going down without a fight. And um, I can now say that uh, my friend that's actually sitting with me just recently said, he goes, we've played all the big teams at home now. Yeah. So now we've got the rest of them. So now this is the time where we can uh, really fight and, and proper go for it. But you know, we're, we're doing well and that's all we can carry on doing. And if we carry on playing the way we are, 100% we can stay up. Yeah, I think that uh, you've got every chance. I mean, it depends at the moment what else is going to happen down the bottom there, doesn't it? With uh, the likes of Everton, uh, but Burnley and Sheffield United below. Sheffield United have got an awful lot of work to do. Yeah, to be fair, I think I think Sheffield United, like, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful to them, but I do think that's that sort of, I think maybe that's done now. You know, they've had a 5-0 a defeat today. Um, it's not looking good for them. You know, Burnley, they could turn it around, but I think out of all the three teams that have gone up, we're, we're the team to keep an eye on for, you know, potentially staying up and uh, settling down in the Premier League. So, Joe, here's the uh, thing about Manchester United. You've got Ineos and everybody's saying, you know, they're taking over all the football side of things. They're, they don't own the whole club by any means. So it's not all. So the final decision is still going to rest on uh, certain monies and what have you. Eye-watering uh, transfers still there have been and, uh, and wages and everything. But they need to get it right now, don't they? And they need to get it right in two ways for me. One, you have, and I know it's been talked about in the last two or three uh, weeks, you know, those growing uh, into the Manchester United first team understand when they've come through, um, through the academy and some who've made it all the way, they understand. They understand the responsibility. Some of the others who've come in from outside just think, you know, I'm in a side and I look around here that others can do it for me. And those are the two things I think that Manchester United have got to sort out if they're to challenge again, not just in the Premier League, but, but I firmly believe in, in the European leagues. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, However, I do think that, you know, you look at some of the great sort of mentality players in the history of Man United and they didn't come through the academy. The likes of Roy Keane and Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic, um, you know, plenty of players just... Eric Cantona may be the best example of that of anyone. They were outside players who came from different countries, different clubs, different rivalries. Even look at uh, Ferdinand played for Leeds, and that didn't affect things. If anything, these are some of the great sort of mentality players in the history of Man United. So I think that it's a person by person thing rather than a did you come through the yeah. academy, did you come from from wherever else. Um, 
But I do think there's definitely reason to be optimistic as a United fan at the moment. And Ineos are doing things that the Glazers haven't done in nearly 20 years, getting a, a, a solid structure of people who have done the job at a good level to help the manager out from you know CEO all the way down to the manager. Every person in that chain needs to be good at their job. And in the past, you know, the Glazers have just been hiring the, the person who's nearby or their mate or whatever. And it's obviously not going to work. And, you know, some of it feels a bit basic and a bit easy. But you think, well, that just goes to show just how little and just how poor the decision-making that the Glazers, has, the Glazers had been doing uh, for the last 18 years has been. Because, you know, some of this stuff is... I would be able to do this. I would be able to look at Dan Ashworth or, you know, Omar Brada at Man City and say, look how well they've done, let's get them in. And yet the Glazers had done none of that. It's embarrassing. Yeah, no, I understand that completely. Do you think as well that there is uh, the will of the Glazers to take a complete back seat now? Mm. Financially, no. I think they want to stay there. They want to be able to sort of have this as an investment. I think they almost see Man United as a stock that they've invested in. I don't think they see it as a business that they own and certainly a business that they run. They see their shares in Man United as a way to make money as the club of the, the value of the club increases, so does their portfolio. Whereas Ratcliffe and Ineos, they are managing Manchester United, not as a manager, but as the managers of the club. They're getting the right people in, they're looking at Man United as a as a, as a football club and as a business, the Glazers literally just go, right, what's the stock price? What's the current value? That's good. You know, that's what we're worth. I think that's literally all they see it as. And that difference and that shift with the momentum that United can achieve being such a big club, I think over the next few years, we'll really start to see a snowball effect. And hopefully, like you said, the United can challenge not just in the Premier League, but back in Europe again as they, as they should be. And, and where we are, we're coming to the... Uh nitty-gritty now aren't we as far as uh, the rest of the season for Luton Town and Darren are you happy that, um, it, that there's been no nonsense about any of this everybody seems to understand what you want to do they're all playing to the basically to the top of their ability at the moment a lot of them I mean Barclay from when he first came to the club just looks he looks 10 years younger to start with to be honest with you um, and he looks fit and he looks lean and he knows what he's doing because his, his brain is sharp again and he wants to do it and he's got a bit of love from Luton. And then those around him are, are continuing to do exactly the same. And I've, I've actually, I, I, I've not liked some of the stuff that have been in a lot of the papers about Luton Town as if, you know, everybody's sort of doing you a favour that you're still not mm. in the bottom three and, the, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it... For me, I think that this is this is a side of our game that we we need to stamp out a little bit more. Yeah, one hundred ten percent. You know, the, the story of Luton Town is most probably one of the best football stories you can you can get from being absolutely taken down all the way out of the, all throughout the leagues and then getting all the way back up there. And um, you know, we deserve to be in the Premier League. I think today, being on Super Sunday, and I'm sure a lot of people around the country have kind of seen that we took Man United. We took Man United on today. And we deserve to be in the Premier League and we're good enough to be in the Premier League. And I've, I hope that we're going to stay there. And um, I'm, I'm sure sort of um, the Man United guy that over there right now, I'm, I'm sure he's kind of looked at that game and gone, you know, these guys aren't pushovers. You know, what Rob Edwards, what 2020 Gary Sweet, what everyone has done for this club is, is incredible. And um, I don't care about points deductions or anything like that. You know, at the end of the day, if we stay up, we're going to stay up on, on the merit of that we're good enough to be there. And um, I can really see it happen. Aston Villa and Spurs um, have been up and down a little bit. Is there still 
realism and hope at Manchester United that top four is not out of the question? Yeah, we're only five points off. You can't, you know, you'd be foolish to roll us out. The only problem is at Villa are having a, a bad time. We're having a really good time and we still haven't caught them. So when those forms twist and go back the other way, if we're not within touching distance of them, they'll pull away again. And I think we'll see a, a tricky end of the season. But United look much better and it coincides with people coming back from injury. So for me, that's a good indicator that this can be a consistent return to form rather than just a flash in the pan. Time to talk now about Sheffield United beaten uh, again today, this time at home by uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. And uh, 5-0 the score. They uh, had a man sent off in Mason Holgate in the first uh, 10 minutes. It was 12, 12 minutes, I think, exactly. But uh, you can't have that. It was a horrific challenge. And from there, you're really struggling. Let's talk to both sides on this one for Brighton. Uh, A.D. Packham is with us from Albion Raw. And James Shield is with us, the Sheffield United reporter as well. James, um, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Mark. It's difficult, this. Um, for all fans, we know at times uh, you've got games where we possibly we're at home. We've got to somehow get something out of this. And, and for what Holdgate did early on, I mean, there's just no excuse for that. No, Chris Ward will be absolutely fuming after that game. It was interesting. I was at his press conference as well on uh, on Friday. And one of the things that he was really keen to hammer on, one of the messages that he, he clearly wanted to get across was the importance of discipline, uh, not only mentally, but tactically as well. He's spoken about how Brighton keep the ball. The possession percentage and the way that they recycle it is obviously phenomenal. Uh, so to see one of his new players but senior players one of his most experienced players in that squad in terms of premier league games on his uh, on his cv uh go into a tackle like that so early in the game obviously wrecks sheffield united's game plan chris wilder although he probably won't say it publicly uh i think there'll have been a few words in that dressing room because it absolutely wrecked the uh, the entire game plan that they will have been working on all week. Yeah, exactly that. You you, you can't have uh, anything like that happen in the way it did. Just to before we talk Brighton as well, did you feel that you could have got back into that? Um, well, you could have done it at one stage, but the goal uh, offside. That, when things don't go your way, they don't go your way, and and it was offside. Yeah, that that that's right. I I think one of the one of the important things is obviously Sheffield United now and one of these games was to Brighton in the FA Cup have conceded five in their last uh their last three home games, which I mean clearly that that tells its own story. You don't need to have a UA for pro license to be able to unravel the maths behind that. It's clearly not good enough. But I think as strange as this might sound, there has been an improvement in Sheffield United under Chris. They have battled, they have been in games more. The Aston Villa game, obviously, let's 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 park that one. But they have been in games an awful lot more. The FA Cup tie against Brighton and Ovalbin, I don't think it was really a, a five uh, or a five-two game. Brighton deserved to win the game. There's no doubt about that. But you saw it again today. The one thing that is absolutely holding Sheffield United below the waterline in this division, and that is just individual errors, individual mistakes, be it either from Mason Holgate, but then also having been reduced to 10 men, the first two goals they conceded, wholly preventable as well. 
you know, one of those coming from a set piece. There's no excuse, even when you're at a numerical disadvantage, to be conceding goals like that. This division was always going to be hard enough for, or, you know, for a Sheffield United squad that I think many of us who watch it on a regular basis will say is weaker than the one that came up last season without giving opponents like Brighton, as accomplished as Brighton, a leg up, which they did today. Yeah, uh, James, I like your word that you've used there. I'm going to use it to uh, aid you right now. The accomplished Brighton, uh, a 5-0 <laughs> win. You're just, uh, well, you're in that, that group just between um, the top five, really, aren't you now? You still, you're back up there ahead of uh, West Ham and up with Newcastle United. There are still enough games to go to continue this, but... Um, you did what you had to um, brilliantly today, as always. Yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted that we're now being seen as accomplished. I mean, that, that, <laughs> when we were when we were like nearly going out of the league at Hereford, like in '97, we certainly weren't very accomplished then. But um, and 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 you know, as we say to anyone who listen, it, it's it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're we're at the moment we're in a really good run of. Um, form as a club because you know we're in your we're in the last 16 in europe we're in the in the next round of the fa cup we're pushing for europe again this season and uh you know it's it's you know it's a long way from from league two yeah good to get and that second the, the, uh, at this point yeah good to get that second league win though in 24 yeah absolutely i mean we i mean it took us a while to even score um uh this this calendar year, but that's actually ten goals we put past um, Sheffield United this 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 year already. So sorry, sorry about that. Um, but you know, it, it's we've had a lot of injuries. We've had players away at Afcon. We've had players away at the at the Asia Cup. Um, you know, and we're starting to get those players back now. So hopefully, we we knew um, that the turn of the year was a time when we've actually got a try and push on with similarly placed to the, where we were about this time last year, but a similar amount of points from the same amount of games. So, um, but I mean, last year was a bit of a strange one. We obviously, we had a, a, a truncated season. We had a world cup in the middle of it. We had teams like uh, Spurs and Chelsea, not um, hitting, hitting their straps as they would normally do. And, and it, I'm not saying it was easier to qualify for Europe last year, but, it's, there's a lot of mitigating factors, but those sides are, are coming back into it. Chelsea is starting to show some form. Man United is starting to show some form. Um, you know, and it, it's going to be tight to try and qualify for Europe again. But you know, getting that top spot in in that Europa League competition um, and and basically essentially getting February off is a massive, massive fill-up for us because it like gives us a chance to get the players back and uh, and move forwards and hopefully um, qualify for Europe again. I mean, I, you know, we, we don't always like to talk about the games coming up soon, but you play against two of the sides down at the bottom. You'd expect to beat both of those. No, we wouldn't. That's not the Brighton way. I mean, 2 0 up, we were thought uh, in the FA Cup game in, in January, we were 2 0 up in that game as well, and we went in 2 2 at half time. No, you know, it, uh, it's, it isn't, you know, we, we've struggled to keep clean sheets this season. So, yeah, I mean, you look at teams on paper, yes, maybe you would say that. You should, you should be beating them. But we're we're not we're not like that. We don't look at it that way. We just see each game as it comes, and 
you know, I mean, Everton was struggling last year, and that's who we got at the weekend, and they beat us five one at home last season. So you know, it's. Yeah. I'd like. Can I ask you both a, a a question? That I'm coming on to talk to referees in a moment, and uh, it wasn't an incident that I was watching in your game, but there was one today where. Uh, Marcus Rashford went into a challenge in the first half where at, at best you could say it was, a, it was just a proper challenge um, with uh, the defender uh, on uh, Luton Town's side. But he went down as if he'd basically uh, nearly had his head taken off. And I just we need to have some responsibility here. We need to change these things because a it's part of time wasting, which is becoming ludicrous. And B, it just does not help anybody. He was up and springing about. I, I think if you go down with a head injury, we know if it's serious. And if it isn't serious and you're just faking it, and, I'm, and everybody can tell that, um, I think there's got to be some sort of discipline because this is getting ridiculous. They're not the only ones to do that. Oh, I'm that, not saying that. I'm not saying that. I mean, they're, but I mean, I'm not they're, saying, they're but that was the one I saw today. I've seen them. I mean, yeah. particularly, I mean, I go, I go away from home to watch Cambridge United, as much, not as much as I can this season, as well at home. <laughs> but they'll waste their time. The keepers down half the time, groveling around on the floor, having got kicked in the you know what or ever, and then he's up bouncing and hitting the ball off the deck about <laughs> it mid to the edge of the other penalty area. I mean, I know it goes yeah. on, but it, but it's. It's now been sort of accepted as part of the game, and that's the bit I don't like. I'll, I'll go with you first, then, James. Do, do, do you know what? I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Mark. It's something that absolutely infuriates me. As you can see, I'm of a certain age. Yeah. Maybe that's got <laughs> maybe that's got something to do with yeah, it. I'm I sure don't it has. know. But yeah. <laughs> One of the things I think, though, and, and do you know what? I've I've written columns on this. I've yeah. thought long and hard about this. I know we always talk about referees in this situation. And yes, the referees are part of this as well. They have a responsibility because they see the same things we do. They're even closer to the action than we are. Mm. So deal with it. But also, I think all of us, and I'm not speaking as a, as a journalist here, I'm talking as a football fan. The other way that we can do this, I think, is players have made it impossible for referees now. They're going down. If the referee doesn't, I mean, we saw this in Scotland recently, didn't we? If, yeah. if the referee doesn't blow his whistle, then they're absolutely castigated for not stopping play when somebody is injured. Let's all of us, whether it's our team or not, just call this what it is. It's cheating. Yeah. And it is. It's end of. And also, let's have managers and coaches as well call this out for what it is. Yeah. Failing that, stick him in the boxing ring and let them find out exactly what a proper well, challenge is. You know, AD, I mean, I know that people, are, again, football will close down on everybody else that thinks that possibly 10 minutes in a sin bin is a good thing, which personally, uh, it certainly works um, in much lower leagues and junior football and, and things like that. It might not. Well, I don't know why it wouldn't work in uh, in the Premier League. It would soon sort it out because people would say, oh, it's just going to waste more time and t- 10 minutes for a key player, he won't be doing that too often. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the blue card idea, admittedly. I mean, it, it, it's it's a nice idea, but in, in reality, it's not going to work. I mean, basically, what's going to happen if you if you, your goalkeeper like gets sinned in for dissent? Well, they're not going to be able to bring on another goalkeeper, are they? So... It, 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 there's, there's, there's obviously there's got to be a discussion. There's, there's got to be conversation about it. We see, it, we see it all the time. This, this top, 
it, it, it is feigning injury. And if, you, if you're deemed to be feigning injury, then that's got to be a, 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 a booking. But, you know, the players know if he, if a player's got a serious head injury or yeah. if, if there's a serious condition. Um, I mean, there, there's there's a few clubs, in, in particularly in this division, that are masters of, of, of like, oh, my head, oh, my head. I mean, I'm looking at you, Fulham. Um, I'm looking at you, Everton. I mean, there, there's a lot of these um, clubs. That they're doing it because, I mean... That it's it's a way to stop momentum. It's a way of yeah. if you, if a, if a team's getting up ahead of steam. I mean Manchester City. I mean Pep Guardiola. He he actually goes. He tells his players to to do these little these little niggly fouls to stop momentum. And it, it's it's unfortunately it's part and parcel of the game. Can we stop it? Yes. Would we like to stop it? Yes. Is it going to happen? Probably. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, we talk about uh, refereeing every week, quite rightly, because uh, it is really important. And there are all sorts of things going wrong at the moment with refereeing. At different levels, at the highest level, uh, I don't think they know what they can and can't really do. They seem so worried at times about making any sort of decision that's wrong that will make them look foolish and stupid. They haven't grasped the game in a sense that the referee should be in control. I don't think it's easy, and it's not easy at any level, because we've talked about it on many occasions, the time-wasting, the faking of injuries, all the other bits and pieces that now go on the whole time in most of our professional game. And it is, it's shameful, really. Keith Hackett and Mark Halsey are both with me. Uh, evening to you, Keith. Good evening, Mark. Uh, even, You're uh, absolutely right. Oh, thank you. Good. And uh, Mark Halsey, uh, good evening to you. Your side that you're now managing one 2 nil today... As a referee and a top referee, how do you deal with uh, tripping and faking it and injuries as a, as a boss now? 
Oh, it, it, it's it's difficult because uh, obviously the referees are not up to the sort of standard that uh, I used to referee at. But uh, no, they know who I am, and I have to respect them and show respect to them, and um, which I which I always do. So uh, yeah, it was a good two 0 victory for us at, over at uh, up at Alicante um, against Chastik. So it's good. It moves up into I think seventh in the table now. So we're doing well. So. It was a good weekend for me because a great day at Ashton Gate, QPR, a 1 0 win. Yeah. Try and get beat out of job zone, keep away from Sheffield Wednesday. Keith's <laughs> 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 team. So, yeah. Keith, today for me, one very early, I mean, I haven't seen, to be fair, uh, an awful lot of the football this weekend yet, but I did watch the game between Luton and Manchester United. Yes. And, I, and I, I'm going to say this again because for all of the great things that Marcus Rashford has done so far in his footballing life uh, and away from football in other things, he's becoming a bit of a pain as far as I'm concerned. Again today, a, a, a challenge and he goes yeah. down and it, it's worse than cheating for me. This yeah. is con yeah. conning people. Yeah, there, there's no question. I mean, I don't know what they set out to achieve, Mark. No. I can understand, you know, in the Sheffield United game, they went rightly went down to 10 men. And shortly afterwards, the goalkeeper suddenly gets injured, which then allows all the Sheffield United players to go towards the manager and reorganise the team. When we look at Marcus Rashford, he just stayed down as though he was going to go to sleep. Yeah. And, and he's rubbing his head when there's actually little or no contact. And my worry, and I keep saying it, is very much... The kids who are watching that game, because Radford is a star player, he's copied by many players around the world, he should be very proud of the shirt that he wears. He wasn't wearing Why it when he came off the pitch, actually, today, Keith. That was another strange thing for me. One of these yes. taking, taking his shirt uh, off so that everybody could see his tattoos and what have you. But I, I just thought that was all strange. I mean... Um, is he being? I'm not talking about football managed. Is uh, is his agency? I think they're Americans, aren't they? Are they are they actually doing him any favours at the moment? No, they're not. And I think his manager really needs to take him to one side and have a fatherly word of advice. I think. Look, we know that this guy does lots of good things in the community, and everybody praises him. But he's getting paid to play football and he's getting played to play at the highest level with one of the world's top clubs. Please set a good example. And I, and I think that he's disrespecting the game and he's disrespecting his fellow professionals when he goes down clutching his face when everybody sees it's a cheat. You um, know? Here's what, one other thing for both of you. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Mark. Uh, I'm just thinking this about what Keith was saying about, you know, players come across and have this early drink, even if it's only five or ten minutes and get another bit of coaching and what have you. I can see clubs like, oh, not clubs, um, television outlets like Sky, TNT, Amazon Prime, a lot of them with big American influence suddenly saying, you know what, why don't we have ad breaks during uh, an injury uh, I, I, you know no i know but this is the well, this is the state we're just about to get to if we don't watch it yeah no. think, listen look during during when it's in hot weather they do have that they do have a break they do have yeah a, but yeah in hot, hot weather minutes, but listen um 
you know, going back to what Keith was saying, I, I, you know, he's spot on. And, and for me, it's about, it's not about the laws of the game all the time. It's about managing the game, managing the players, being in their ear all the time, engaging with them and letting them know what you feel. And they, they, they respond to that and they respect, they respect you for that. Um, yeah, listen, look, it's, it, it, it is a problem with, um, with, with time and people going off to the side. I mean, listen, if people want need a drink, they need a drink. They need to be, they, you know, they, they need that um, that that fluid in in their body when because they're athletes, really. So it's it, 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 it's it's a fine line, isn't it? it? It's a fine line, and how you how you deal with that with with players mm. keep that one. Yeah, but I mean, going. the fine line is such that I have no problem with going uh, to the edge of the pitch and. Uh, one of the uh, crates of uh, whichever sponsor that they use is, is put down and they pick them up and go back on the pitch and then chuck it off again. They don't do that. They all mm. come off the pitch and the, the, the yeah. managers start to tell them what to do and yeah. this is the way the opposition well, are now. Well, I mean, it's well, rubbish. Well, the thing to but do But Mark, is, uh, I can remember... Sorry, Mark. I can remember in the early 80s refereeing on the North American Soccer League. Yeah. And, in, and I arrived in, in New York and was informed by the NASL, Phil Woosnam, that there would be a one-minute ad break in each half. And I had to pick the time. So there was a time when a player would go down. I would then cross my hands to signal that a one-minute stoppage was taking place. The player's, been, the player's been treated after about 10 seconds, wants to get up. And I am, as the referee, saying, stay down, stay down. We've got a minute break. <laughs> <laughs> These are the sort of things we don't want in the English game, Mark. We no, don't want them. I, I, I don't I, think we do. Listen, Mark, I think what you know, if, if they do run off for, for, for a drink break, then you know, the players get up, just referee restart play, they'll soon run back on, won't they? Yeah. Could I, I mean, here's something for both of you. And uh, Keith, I'll come to you first. Watching all goalkeepers at the moment, whether, and, and Mark's a, a goalkeeper too. Uh, yeah. And was a fine one. Allegedly. Uh, yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I'm going to say it's fine. But Keith, you first of all, when they go, when they catch a ball from wherever it is, a lot of them then sink to their knees and then they go flat down and everything. And they just stay there. Is it, do, would the PGMOL and um, referees outside that as, uh, as well, would they sort of think about, you know what, let's just, let's just time next weekend how much time the goalkeepers take between that ball in their hands and then getting rid of it. Not to punish them during that game, no, but no. to find out how much time is wasted. Well, you know the law, Mark. The law is yeah. quite specific. Six seconds, yeah. they have to distribute. Yeah. This is why the IFAB are now saying, well, because it's not being used and penalised by referees, that type of behaviour, let's, let's open it up to eight seconds and then punish. But, you know, this is, this is, we're, we're changing the laws to meet weak refereeing. And, and you're absolutely right. The PGMOL in England have the key to this. Hmm. They should, through Howard Webb, dictate how their referees are going to officiate in terms of application of the law. And it's a little bit like a barometer. You only want strict enforcement like we see at the beginning of the season, and those 14 minutes and 10 minutes added on, that are now three minutes and back to four, and we're back to normal. And and this is because the PGMOL are not policing it. Hmm. So I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the game needs to understand it's in the entertainment business, that hmm. a lot of players, uh, spectators, switching the television off, 
because they're not enjoying what they're seeing. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. Mark, what do you think? I agree with you. I think I think that the law has lapsed with 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 the six second law has has lapsed. And like Keith says, it's it's weak refereeing. You know, you you've got to be in the players' ear all the time, in the captain's ear, in the goalkeeper's ear, saying, "Listen, if you don't if you don't get rid of that ball quicker, I'm going to give an indirect free kick yeah. right yeah. on your six yard line." And and that will that will stop it. That will stop it. You know the referee. See, you know as referees, you'll have told them when. <laughs> Well, the last thing you want to see your referees doing is giving indirect free kicks on the yeah. six-yard line. That's right. oh. Oh, that's, you know, you could, couldn't you, or on the eighteen-yard line. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, you, I just, you just I just want, them. I don't want twelve, fifteen minutes of uh, extra time being played. The game is ninety yeah. minutes, and I want to see three or four minutes. Yeah, if somebody's got injured, but that's about it, really. I don't. We don't yeah. want. We don't need any more than that. There is a lot of problems, courtesy of our useless train transport system these days that nobody you know yeah. can hang around too much particularly midweek yeah. and uh, on holidays and other things and yeah. and, and, and don't get back i mean that that's still important to me but what i do want to see is that perhaps we should perhaps we should do it that for every uh, for every club that plays get get a timing so if you have wasted 10 minutes of that game then every fan gets a 10% refund yeah, well, no, I know you like, can laugh uh, at that. Yeah, well, well, no, it's, it's, that's a little bit know, like yeah. cricket, that's, isn't it? Mark? Yeah, still has to be Slow paid. Play. For, yeah, it still has to. It still goes back to the club eventually. Yes, but that ten percent. Yeah. Um, you know, you, so you're not cheated out of a game. No, that's yeah. right. Players and catches get fined in cricket, don't they? For slow play or slow yeah. over rate. Yeah. So, yeah. But the other thing, Mark, here is that we're seeing so many yellow cards being issued. Referees themselves are wasting a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, I mean, today in the Manchester United game, we saw them flash like confetti. They were yeah. cautionable offences. But, you know, when that second caution for Casemiro should have been issued, it wasn't. Mm. And and this is where I think referees have yeah. got to say, right, OK, there's a threshold. Can we raise it, reduce the number of yellow cards or can we impact on them? Yeah. And uh, yeah. and this is why this is why we had all that nonsense about IFAB and the blue card. It was aimed at trying to enforce and put some weight into the early card. But well, I mean, Ted Hasley straight away, didn't they? They took him off at half time. Yeah, they knew. Yeah, I mean, they knew. Yeah. They knew it was. They knew it was on one. Yeah. But then, it, yeah, it, you know, he was lucky. Lucky. You can, you can say he was well, lucky. To be fair. But yeah, you look I at, just we're looking, we're looking at that at the yellow cards. I mean, what we've got to remember is they were. They were the first. The first yellow card was 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 clear because it, it denied a promising attack. But then we had. Two or three, four um, careless challenges. Now that becomes then in, uh, persistent infringement of the laws of the game. So how many how many challenges do you allow? Four or five before you issue another yellow card um, mm. for that. So I think he was on. His, he was he was treading treading dangerously for for, for being sent off for, for a second yellow card. Um, I know that the I know the Six Nations are back uh, in rugby next week, Keith. And yes. uh, there's a very good piece uh, in the Sunday Times today um, from, uh, you know, how the, from what Lawrence Delalio had said uh, a week ago, the delays that mar the game and writers and columnists have all um, had their say today. I think it's the sort of thing that needs to be sorted because rugby wants the, the game to be speeded up. And I'm interested yeah. to see what happens here because I think football needs to follow. 
Yeah, I, I mean, what tends to happen when you look at rugby and they come up with these great ideas, uh, it, it took me an age to convince the Premier League that we should have communication kits to follow the to follow rugby. Uh, so I think that when we actually look at these things, the analysis that is now produced by the Premier League and each Premier League club, they've got it in minutiae. And therefore, I think in that sense, they've got the information, look at it, and see how they can influence the game. You know, in the MLS, Dan Gerber, who runs the MLS, he's very cute on these sorts of things. He, he, he impacts, the league want to impact because it's in competition and make these sort of changes. But, you know, we yeah. still get daft things happening in our game. I mean, Mason Olgate today, yeah. I mean, like, puts in a challenge that's not worthy of a professional footballer and rightly gets sent off. But the referee should have issued a red cut straight away goes for a yellow. I, I, I don't understand that. No, I'm with you both on that. And one of the other things and uh, that uh, I, I wanted to just sort of round off and talk to here about is um, you, you both would be able to spot decent referees at 14, 15, 16, I guess, at, at very junior levels or with children and whatever else is going on uh, and others. I've always thought because of the technology is way beyond people like you and me, Keith, I'm sure. Mark Halsey will tell us that, that he's brilliant at it all. But yeah. we need to yeah. be looking at the the next generation that wants to become referees and say, how can we get things like communication right, proper and much quicker? Because they'll know. Yeah, that, that's, that's investment. You know, I mean, the investment in terms of education, good coaching... Uh, you know, it's the coaching aspect where I think there's a complete weakness within the country. We need to actually encourage referees. I mean, I communicate regularly with, with young referees and they're very positive. They're, you know, it's competitive and they're, they're in with a good show. They've got to be given the opportunity. And in fairness to Howard Webb, he brought in this weekend Lewis Smith for his first game. And, he, and of course, he, he brought in Alison... Sam Allison a few weeks ago and Re Rebecca Welsh. So I think that the, he must recognise, in fairness to him, that they need some new blood into that into that group. But then but you've got right, to give Keith. them a run can of I, games. Can I, can I just come in there? Yeah. I mean, what, yes. What's the idea? What is the idea of select group two? Well, I don't. I don't think uh, you know. I, I don't think it serves a purpose. What's the, Mark. What's, what's, it, what's, what's the idea? What? Those those referees in that select group two are supposed to be going on up into into the Premier League. So what they're doing now, you've got referees that are refereeing really well in select group two, okay? And then you've got these referees that they've got on this uh, elite refereeing panel system yeah. where they pay 20,000 a year extra to be on that panel. And some of them, I understand, are not even nowhere near the top five, yet they're putting them in, in these games. What about these referees in select group two who are refereeing week in, week out in a championship who are good referees and not getting the chance to referee at the, at the, at the highest level? But that's exactly the same... There's all that, that. That's the same like the cartel that there is within the Premier League itself. Itself with the clubs, yeah. you know, they'll all yeah. they'll all sit and agree about, you know, all of the money for charity uh, during COVID down to the lower yeah. leagues. It, it, it doesn't happen. No, they just correct. say these things. Talk is yeah. cheap at the top of our football game, and I think it's yeah. cheap at the top of our refereeing game, and they need to sort it out. Have every referee in the position where. 
Yes, you are going to be refereeing at the highest level, but you might not be doing that every single week. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Mark, uh, we, we're going back then to the old system of 50, 52 referees on the Football League, as it was, and they could referee fourth, third, second, first division. Hmm. And, you know, you were lucky if you got a first division match each month. So uh, there was that mix. There wasn't, you know, a couple of seasons ago, I, I, I recall Michael Oliver refereed Liverpool seven times in one season. That's too great an exposure to one referee. Succession planning is the key. But within that mix, you know, when you look at people like Mark, who's played the game, at a reasonable level, mm. they are natural referees. Mm. And therefore, the governing body, the FA and the, the Premier League, should see that if they can encourage, they've got all these academies, if they could encourage these kids yeah. out of the academies, a few of them to become referees, give them the career path, give them the coaching, then we might have a, a seed change that's required. Because the standards of officiating is not good enough. Because there's too many manufactured referees keep that's the problem they're knocking all the natural ability out of some of our good young referees that's yes. what's the problem that's the problem with the training and coaching the education of our young referees yes we had yeah. a referee we had a referee uh the other day at the uh abbey stadium that for the second half kickoff he he made it happen four times because somebody encroached or whatever or done something and in the end he just said oh get on with it there was no advantage yeah. going on, but he needed no. to. He needed to then run up to both captains and said, I, "I know what you've done here, or whatever. You know, I want this game to flow, and that's all it would have needed, really." Yeah. Uh, you, Mark, what we're seeing at the moment is reactive refereeing right through the structure, rather than proactive refereeing, which involves the quiet word. The public rebuke at times and and the and, liaison and, between players and, and referees. Your reaction has got to finish right now. now Angus, um, Mike Proctor, I mean, you know, the grainy black and white televisions in those days of Mike Proctor, uh, particularly in Gillette and other things coming steaming in. And, and what, a, what a player and what a man. Yeah, it's, it, I mean... I heard sort of there's a little WhatsApp group or raises it's called, which is sort of former first class cricketers and word came around uh, a couple of days ago that he wasn't well, which was disturbing. And uh, obviously the sad news that he's passed away came through today. And all of a sudden you, there's some clips on there. Of him He took four wickets in five balls playing for Gloucestershire in a, in a, I don't know, it was a B&H or a Gillette Cup game or yeah. something like that. And, Bowling round the wicket fast in swing, and it was, I suppose, a style of cricket that um, would be suited to now. But it was just, uh, it, it just, yeah, he was a wonderful cricketer and a really nice fella too. I mean, I when I was playing for England as a journalist, uh, he was either head coach or involved in sort yeah. of South African setup, and and just always had time for you. Always wanted a conversation, just so welcoming, so warm, and a brilliant cricketer and. Yeah. And a lovely man with it too. Ah, oh, no, no, absolutely. I, I think that uh, in the way they play Test cricket at the moment, not that it quite worked out the way England do, but <laughs> I think uh, I think he would have been uh, in his element playing baseball. He would have been. We had some friends round to our house for dinner last night, and I just sort of said that he wasn't well because the conversation got to that. Mm. And one of the 
gentleman there, Andy Needham, who played for Middlesex and Surrey. Um, he was sort of saying, well, he's got to be almost one of the greatest of all time. And, and, and that's a big statement. I mean, Andy Needham's not someone who sort of blows smoke up um, for the sake of it as such. And uh, he was just sort of saying how he was up there with the Bothams of this world. And all right, he, we didn't see that on an international stage because of apartheid and the fact of obviously South Africa and everything like that. But no, he was obviously a wonderful cricketer, um, bowled fast, bowled off the wrong foot. So again, a, a sort of unique way of bowling and a very, very capable batter too, who used to go out there and take the game to the opposition. So yeah, I mean, not in the Gary Sobers League, but uh, not far off that certainly, yeah. which is a which is a huge statement. Yeah, I, I think Neil is uh, able to join us now. And just before we just finish this uh, respect for um, the great Mike Proctor, who sadly has died at the age of seventy-seven. Neil, um, I, I was mentioning they only played seven tests because of the apartheid situation in South Africa at the time. All of them against Australia, but for fourteen years, played for Gloucestershire and. He would have been a magnificent cricket in this modern era with his all-round ability. Well, I got the sad news yesterday from his great friend, Barry Richards, and the text message said, a giant has fallen. And a truly great all-round cricketer, but as importantly, a truly great bloke in that everyone who played against him and played with him has shared some wonderful tributes over the last 24 hours about what a generous and warm person he was. Um, so the, the cricketing world is is hurting today. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. Let us talk now about the Test Series that is going on. It's 2-1 now to India after a third match that perhaps surprised all of us in the way that the Test went at various different times and where England got themselves into the difficulties that they really did, Angus. Yeah, I, I mean, another fascinating game of cricket and it's a record defeat for England. And after two days, you'd have thought it would be an evenly contested game throughout. So that the fact that England fell away so alarmingly and that uh, India grabbed hold of it uh, so brilliantly surprised everyone. But I suppose it's a different... I, I find it hard. I mean, Joe Root and his dismissal, you sort of... Where do you go with it? Because he was being lauded, wasn't he, last summer in the first over, first over day's play against Australia. He, he gets that shot out and he goes for six. And what a wonderful symbol of English cricket and where we're taking the game is. And I sort of sat there and you think, well, yeah, well done. But that's not a percentage shot that I would sort of like to see someone playing at the start of a day's play. And then you see him play. So you see him play that shot then. So I, I almost feel that You've got a right to say, well, it was a, a dreadful decision by him to, to sort of look at playing the strike like that. But those that were applauding it and sort of sort of just joyfully watching the way that he did against Australia have got no right then to be critical, I don't think, because you either play like that or you don't play like that. And I play like that. But that was obviously the moment um, where things unravel for England, to be honest. And yeah. as your best player, you, I think you've almost got to show a little bit more responsibility than that. Do you think, I mean, it's, do you get caught up in all of this, Neil? Just... Where I agree with Angus, but a slightly nuanced difference is that when Joe Root did that last summer, I think he was in really good form. 
And in this situation, he's been in poor form, not just on this tour, but he had a poor World Cup as well uh, in India. And at the start of day three, his partner was 133 not out, having played one of the most brilliant test match innings. And the key thing for me about batting and bowling in this great game is it needs to be done in partnership. And you have to be very alive to what's happening for your partner. And it might be, for example, Angus knows more about bowling than most people, but for me as a keeper, understanding bowling partnerships, you know, you might have a bowler who's normally your wicket taker, but if if it's somebody else at the other end who's taking wickets, sometimes you have to pull your length back and, and actually bowl in service of your partner. And when it comes to batting, you know, sometimes you might be able to handle a bowler better than your partner, so you take most of the strike. And what disappointed me about Joe Root's decision and obviously the poor quality execution was I don't think it was in service of the needs of building that partnership. And with Ashwin not available to uh, to bowl in, in on that day's play, um, mm. and as it turned out, almost the whole of the match, we had an opportunity, if we saw off Jasprit Bumrah, yeah. to get through that first hour or maybe that first session and start to build a total that was somewhere near India's 454, which I thought it was a um, a sort of par score, really. And who knows, if we'd gone on and got a lead, India would have been under a lot of pressure in the third innings and they may have played differently, as it's turned out. Jace Walsh played a fantastic innings. But it's a lot easier to play like that when your team's got a big lead. Yeah, you make such good points as well, Neil. And Angus was... You know, with with all of this in mind, though, is is it the responsibility now and again of the the coach and the and the captain just to, even even to say to Joe Root, who's had the job, you know, we, we might just need something slightly different here, Joe, or or it, is none of that taking place? Do you think? I, I, well, I, I I don't know. I, mean, I would have thought the message. Is, I mean, you 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 go. I mean. England have played brilliantly the night before. Duckett has, again, has played one of the most spectacular test innings I've seen. I mean, it wasn't slogging. That was no. just wonderful stroke play, hitting good balls for four with, with proper shots. He wasn't slogging. So England go into that third morning um, having grabbed the initiative from from India uh, with the bats. And I suppose you're looking to keep it going. So the message would have been to carry on as you are. Um, but it's... It wouldn't have been something. It was. It's one of those things where you probably think about it almost as the batters, as the bowlers running up. It's one of those things. I don't think batters um, almost sort of plan in innings. It's where the mood takes them, and you you make sort of decisions slightly on the spur of a moment, almost as the bowlers running into bowl. Well, I tell you what, if it's there, I might try this. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he's gone for it, and he's not executed correctly. It was a good catch, but. Um, I mean, Joe is a great player. He's one of great, England's greatest ever cricketers. So you, you, to sort of be critical of Joe is just for this moment in time, and to sort of uh, and to sort of question his career in any shape or form would be absolutely hugely wrong. But he's made a poor decision there, and it's it's, it's proved costly. And then uh, Neil, the second innings from uh, India with uh, Jaswal, just again showing what a fantastic batsman he is and and you know 500 and whatever to win was always going to be difficult but you know do they have to look at one or two things there as well in um the way they didn't restrict the indian batsman in that second innings well i'm 
not too concerned about what happened in the second innings. I mean, I think any team that tours India is unlikely to win. I mean, I think the last time they lost the series was in 2013. Um, but if you can have any chance of winning a match and certainly drawing a match, you, you need to play well in your first innings, and we didn't. And once you get behind, and particularly in the extreme heat, it's asking a great deal of your seam bowlers, Mark Wood and James Anderson, who I thought you know, did a really manful job yeah. until uh, Jaiswell really got hold of James Anderson with those three consecutive sixes. Um, but England have got to be really careful. If they keep getting bowled out cheaply, there's no time for the bowlers to rest in between innings. So it's all well and good wanting to score quickly and get a good total. But if you're getting your runs in a relatively short period of time, you're asking a lot of your bowlers. And if you're only going to pick two seamers uh, and your spinners aren't accurate enough to actually keep a, a lid on, on the game, then you're going to burn Anderson and Wood. Uh, and there's still two test matches to go. So it'd be fascinating to see if Ollie Robinson does come into the mix for this game um, starting on Friday. Mm. But one of the things I would say about this particular management and all the praise that they've been given is if ever there is a captain and a coach capable of picking up their team in such a short turnaround, it's Stokes and McCullum. And let's really hope that whatever things need to be said in private, you know, get said and, and they move on and that there isn't a delusion around this is the way we play and it's the only way of playing. But hopefully people play with greater intelligence as I, well as... I sort of think it's, it's exhausting really for the... It's exhausting for the... I mean, we've got two inexperienced spinners and with uh, Bashir, three inexperienced spinners. Playing test cricket is exhausting and you're going bang, 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 sort of five games in quite a short period of time. I know they've just had a few days off and they've, they've been away sort of recuperating, but... It's just difficult to keep, certainly the starting career. I mean, that's one of the things when you get better, you get get used to these sort of things and you manage and you cope better. But mm. the start of your career to sort of be put in under such sort of um, a spotlight, which they are week after week after week, it wears you out. And therefore, it's not surprising that, that they're going to probably tire during this series and, and not be as effective towards the end. I mean, that's not good news for England, but it is an inevitable sort of, consequence of what, what what's taking place in India when you're working in such a, a sort of an intense and demanding environment. Mm. I think uh, I, I'm really pleased though and I, I know it doesn't happen so much these days. I'm pleased it is a five test match series though. I mean Ranchi yeah. next Friday is, is, is a fourth test. I think I think this is a real marker for me Neil that that they still will go ahead with this sort of uh, occasion that will certainly help develop our spinners. Well, you hope that they're going to grow and develop from this. But one of the challenges that they face is that when the fifth test match concludes, these guys come back to play county cricket in March, April in England, and I can't see them actually bowling a ball. I and mean, most of the overs will be bowled by seam bowlers. So it's a very tricky challenge for English administrators and coaches and captains and, and players to find a way not only to develop spinners, but to develop players who can play well on spinning pitches and that's why i was found the decision to take the team back to abu dhabi and have some r and r for 10 days um that it was quite a courageous decision by the management and they've prioritized sort of mental freshness 
but one or two old school cricket people might be thinking they may have been better served hmm. actually improving as cricketers playing in those conditions. But it's a it's a decision that they've made, and uh, that's the way they do things these days. And uh, let's hope that either Rian Ahmed or Shah Bashir or Tom Hartley can can come again. Yeah. What do you think, Angus? Yeah, it is a it is a big call, and I, I you fear at this moment in time, don't you? Just because of the the, the the way that it's gone, and and I mean India, they've not sort of had uh, a trouble free series, have they? Kohli, their best batter, has not been there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Ashwin has, has has missed half a Test match. Uh, there's been other players that have missed some cricket, so it's not as though we're we're playing against an absolutely full strength Indian side, but you do. Worry and yeah, the decision to go to the UAE. That that's the thing about this this setup. They just fly in the face of what you think should be doing, and because of the success that they've had before, obviously this match, which has been a, a pretty horrendous defeat, mm. um, you sort of well, who you you question your own views on how you should be doing things just because um, face of that, and they've 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 end up winning games. Yeah, they absolutely have. Uh, Neil and Angus, thank you both very much indeed for joining us. Well, we're going to talk about a really good news story now. Uh, it's a story that we have followed for some time here. In fact, as long as Talk TV and uh, the Sunday Nightclub, I think, has been in existence over the last couple of years or so, is that uh, what on earth was ever going to happen to West Bromwich Albion Hawthorns with owners that had little regard for anything but themselves? And hopefully, during the next few days, a Florida-based father and son consortium will become the new owners of West Bromwich Albion. And um, delighted to say that Alistair Jones, Action for Albion, uh, is joining us right now. Uh, good evening to you once again, uh, uh, Alistair. And, uh, well, this is, well, it, it looks good news. Well, it's better than good news. It was like a keep Christmas morning on, on Friday morning, Thursday night. It was just a, a surreal atmosphere. Yes, obviously, we lost the game against Southampton, who, who played well on the night. Um, but as I say to many people, we lost that battle, but we've won the war. And um, it's a fantastic thing that we've got. It's just a, a relief is the first <laughs> instance of feeling, really. It's just a weight lifted off our shoulders. One of the committee members, Matt, said, even my voice sounded different. It's just like a complete relief, and everything that we had has just sort of been weight. The weight has been lifted off all of our shoulders. You can see some of the clips that we've we're very proud of that we did in March last year. We did loads of stuff, but the most important thing we did was we stayed peaceful and above board, and we had real good dialogue with the club because they recognised that we're trying to do it in the right way. It was all. No swearing, peaceful, legal, above board, and and that took us to a lot of places we never expected to be. So yeah, we're we're very proud of what we've achieved, and who knows what difference we made. I think most people would suggest that we've helped expedite the issue. That and our yeah. friends at the not that it's an eighty eight percent or eighty seven point eight percent takeover. The other twelve point two are still held by. Uh, minority shareholders which are represented by shareholders for Albion and, and we've dovetailed with shareholders for Albion and their chair Lee Kent has done an incredible job long before our inception and they've been protecting our football club from the likes of Mr Lai mm -hmm. um, consistently since 2016 when Jeremy P sold us down the river um, so yeah it's just the culmination of a lot of hard work from a lot of people 
uh, as I say, shareholders for Albion go underneath the radar a lot, but their, their work mm. uh, and their diligent work has been incredible, really. So, yeah, it's been a, a fantastic weekend, apart from eight o'clock kickoff on Saturday. <laughs> but we'll move on from that. We don't really want to talk about that today because it's a good news story. But, yeah, it's... Um, such a, as you can see by the footage of the thousands of people. I think we ex- we had five thousand people last yeah. March coming yeah. to do it. March we expected a few hundred, and and the police were shocked. We had to start it early because there was that many people going to it. But it just shows what a little bit of um, organisation and a little bit of feeling and passion gets you. As I say, we are we're very proud that we've done it in the right way, and yeah. and we've always. And can I take the opportunity to thank you and your producers for everything that you've done and given us the platform on talk tv um to be able to to talk about this consistently and as i say our work and hopefully is now complete but we want to make a difference still with Mm. the football pyramid we're still passionate about the football pyramid and we don't want anybody else and any other football club to go through what we've been through yes we've got a little bit of a good news story but we can also Mm look at what we've done in the past and what we've learnt from and you can just look at some of the pitfalls that Albion were falling into and hopefully help other clubs from falling into this precipice that we very nearly did. Yeah, well, look, uh, Alistair, you speak so well and um, uh, on behalf of all of us here at Talk TV, we're, we're glad that the, the story's finished in the way that we all hoped it would and and to keep uh, to keep all clubs like yourselves who've gone through rogue owners ownership uh, in the past. I mean, eight years, if you think about it. Eight years it was in the end. I had air. Sorry? I had air then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, these are important. And I I hope from this and, and, you know, the the smooth um, change now through to the father and son, uh, based in Florida, obviously, and and what they're going to do is... um, where the Football League can now understand what is needed for other clubs and what is needed to be uh, done. And it's not just down to the reaction of the fans. We, you know, they have got to really start to look in detail at some of these rogues that want to come in and destroy football clubs, pretending that they actually want them to succeed. Absolutely. Uh, and again, we, we've worked, uh, and I can sort of reveal things now, we, we we spoke to the EFL and we had meetings with the EFL as as a group uh, that Andy Street, the mayor, put together for us. So the, these are the sort of things that we can sort of help with other football clubs that hope well, that, that it's going to happen, unfortunately. It's just a nature yeah. of the beast. The EFL, unfair, in fairness, I've been very critical of them, but they were pretty under-resourced, but I can only speak as a find, and I can, I can tell you that the... They were very, very helpful with us, sort of straight and honest with us. And they were very quick to respond. So credit where credit's due. We're very quick to jump up and criticise. But if uh, it's yep. only fair when they've done something that was good to say that as well. Um, Nicola Richards, our MP uh, for West Bromwich East, has been instrumental in the campaign as well. And all, all I'd say with regards to people that are going to get in this situation, just look, there's more than one way to skin a cat. We get that... The, the, the militant thing is the most obvious thing to do. But sometimes if you think mm-hmm. a little bit differently and think outside the box, you can get a lot of it, a lot, a lot further. And uh, uh, Reading have been a, a testament and obviously every club's different and I completely understand and sympathise with the reasons why Reading went down that road. Yeah. We felt our decision wasn't that far down. It's because we we weren't in as huge amount of danger, but we weren't far away. So all, all that we'd say is that 
every every club is different, but every club is special to those people involved. And if we can help in any way to stop and, this happening from yeah. anybody else. The the other thing, Alistair, of course, that that, that those of us that are invo- have always been involved in in one club throughout our our lives, not not our careers as such, but is that it's it's all of the unspoken people within um, your West Midlands area and the and the Black Country, those that are perhaps are the taxi firm that, that has you know had a, a contract, the the caterers, the people that that paint or repaint parts and the builders and everybody else all they're all nearly forgotten about that that, that the, a football club going under can really dramatically change even further some of these deprived areas absolutely and this is one of the things that we learned to be honest with you because it was new for us we're all volunteers at the end of the day and one of our first um, initiatives was possibly to stop kiosks and programs and then you step back and you think about it from lee taught me this the helicopter view where you think well hang on if we stop the program we're going to actually stop the livelihood of the people that draw that print the program so we're not hurting Mr. Lloyd, we're actually hurting the local community. So there's lots of different things that you have to weigh up and pros and cons. And that's where our committee came in. We've got a committee that we've had from 11 strong um, uh, throughout the whole process that I'll be honest with you, the one, the one with, with me was uh, the second, the number two, if you like, Paul Faulkner. We argue like... <laughs> Uh, brother and brother, two brothers really. And <laughs> I think everyone else gets really fed up with it. But you need that yin and yang yep. sort of thing to be able to get successful. But Mr. Patel is a fantastic. Looks like addition for Albion. He looks like a perfect fit for the demographic of the region as well. We've yep. obviously got a very diverse community in the West Midlands, and it's fantastic that we've got somebody of Indian heritage that is invested in the football club and will see us, hopefully, to embrace that community even further. We've got some really good things with Apner Albion and and some Albion supporters groups, but that's something that we can grow. We've always been at the forefront of change and social change at West Brom, obviously with the three degrees and things like that. We're very proud of that heritage, and we want to continue that. And I think that having the links with Mr Patel and moving that forward, that's something that we can thrive on. He's also looking at the history. Obviously, it's only been a few days, but you you, you Google, don't you? And he's done a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. He's done a lot of things in Tampa with his local community. And he looks very philanthropic and he wants to be a major part of the community. So we're hoping that he embraces that. We were very pleased that he called himself a custodian of the club yeah. because he's not the owner. The owner of the institution is us. That's who owns the football club. The custodians will come and go, and hopefully Mr. Patel will be a, a real success. And and yeah, we're looking forward to a celebration party at Wembley in May at the prior final. That's what we're hoping for. It'll be a good end to the story. Well, you know that that has been the thing, though, hasn't it? That's been so important here that the commitment from the staff, the playing staff, and the management to to continue. I mean, I, I know of others that perhaps elsewhere might have thought, "What's the point?" Absolutely. And, and I think that's another thing that we, that we tried to do was try to separate the two entities of the the only issue we had was with the ownership. We haven't got any issues with the football club. There's some great people that work in the football club, both on and off the pitch. Carlos and the team, have, for the first time in a long time, we've got a bond for the team and we really back that team. Yes, we lost on Friday, but you can never fault the effort of that of our squad. 
And Carlos Corbran, I'll tell you now, we won't realise the importance of him until five or ten years in the future because when he came, mm. we were destitute, really. We were at the bottom of the league and the more, more likely to go into League One than the Premier League. The job he's done, he's done is just remarkable. Mm. And there's lots of people, Ron Gourlay has moved on, but yeah. the, 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 the MSD loan has actually protected this football club more than anybody could ever realise. And then latterly, Mark Miles stepped into the breach at the time of crisis as an operations director. He stepped up to the plate as being a very committed member of West Bromwich Albion and he's had 20 years service and he's probably, and I'm, I'm not being rude, probably put into a position that he didn't ex ever expect to be and he's performed and got this deal over the line. The communications director, everything's been a really good and it, obviously it's a good news story that we've finished uh, and I think that yeah. a lot of people have put their oh, they're all into it. I'm knackered. You deserve to be knackered as well. Of course, you're on the road for the next week, aren't you, Plymouth? And then I, I guess yeah. uh, I saw it's an early kickoff again at oh, Hull. Yeah. That'll be on the that'll be on Sky, won't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. My son and I are getting a nice early pickup out in Sedgley in the West Midlands at half past six. <laughs> <laughs> on Friday, on Saturday morning, so he said. He said my son said actually, he said, I thought it was a three o'clock kickoff. I thought, bloody hell, there'd have been some stakes on that coach if it was a three o'clock kickoff. It's fortunately it's half past twelve, but yeah, it's um, we're looking forward. The most important thing now is what everybody wants to do is concentrate on the pitch. Yeah. And I do jokingly say, I can't wait to moan about our fullbacks again. It's going yeah. to be great rather than having to moan about the the financial situation. It's it's just a, a positive news story. And as I say, I just wanted to come on. Thank you for the opportunity. No. You Thank personally, for it's not just the show. You've supported it throughout Twitter as well, and yeah. your and your production staff, Farag and um, Chris, have been fantastic. So we really appreciate everything you've done for us, honestly, and you've made a massive contribution to hopefully our success story. Well, so thank and, you. And that's the great thing is that hopefully next time we talk, it will be, you know, we win the final game of the season and we're in the playoffs, or we're, right. we're this or whatever. I mean, this is this is. The great thing about this is that it means that all of us generationally now, we, you all can at West Brom and think, you know what, we can just think about West Brom and the football and have all that excitement to come and the ups right. and downs where the hope kills you, but <laughs> it doesn't destroy the club. Exactly. We've got we've got kids for a quid, for instance. Um, so our, our season tickets for under 15 is a, a pound, 24 pounds or 23 pounds. So there's lots of things. But my dad and um, my dad took me. I take my son. My son's all be taking my grandchildren. And that's what we're fighting for. And it sounds corny and it sounds all that. But it's true. We've had a generational thing. I was talking to Matt again, one of our committee members. And he was saying when the news came through, we was thinking of people that are no longer here. And there's lots of Albion fans that have contacted us that have said that we've gone away. We, we've got no delusions of grandeur. We, we no. know that we can only do so much. But what we've done, I think, is united the fan base. And as one, we've stood up and said, our football club is too important for you to just pitter away. And we're not having it. And unfortunately, the club understood. And as I say, to get together, Ian Skidmore, the the communications director, says this saying: "You've got to be in the ring to fight the ball," and he's absolutely <laughs> right. And we've taken that and learned that from from the, from from yeah. Ian. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a really good news. I'm just very relieved. I'm going to go and have me a, a couple of points and just have a think about what we've done and those clips and keep watching and and remembering about and what a special time it was. And yeah. as I said, made some lifelong friends from doing this. So that's a really good thing to do. Well, you know, the West Bromwich Albion's uh, motto from the town is absolutely appropriate. Labour conquers all things, 
work conquers all and you've done an incredible amount of work and you deserve all of you uh, to enjoy the future now the bag is Jeremy Dale is a PGA coach and a top man as well and it's good to see you uh, Jeremy um, an awful lot to talk about I mean sort of week in week out without people saying too much the, the the seasons have got underway with their different swings around the world and here we are now wondering how all of this is going to link up together with live with what's happening on the pga and of course the dp uh well it's interesting times uh, we we don't know anything more incidentally thank you for having me back last time we spoke about this um and nothing was really resolved, and we're we're still there. So nobody really knows how that's uh, how that's all going to unfold. Um, the uh, uh, the PGA Tour have new investors, uh, and yeah, they're looking at alternatives. Uh, we thought the buying of John Rahm would would serve to bring the PGA Tour to the table, which it has. Um, and we're still in a in a in a in a state of, of flux. We don't really know the sort of dubious messages from from Tiger coming out. Um, and as you mentioned in the introduction, he's, he's looking like he uh, is coming to the end of his career and it would be a nice thing for him to do. He's a staunch defender of the PGA Tour. Um, it's where he's made his, his name, his fortune as well. Uh, it's been a great stage for him. And it is a great stage. I mean, we're, we, we're going to talk about two different tournaments. You couldn't be more different uh, than the Phoenix Open and the, and the, the storied uh, LA Open, sponsored by Genesis now, of course. Yeah. Um, both uh, tournaments with with great histories, um, but uh, yeah, where the tour goes, I, I I don't think we know anything really more about that than. Uh, but it will be a great watch. It'll be very interesting. Yeah, no, it, it will be. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of talk as well about various other bits and pieces at the start of uh, the, the the season, really. And the Phoenix Open has been very much in focus. I mean, it is. Um, a bit of a playground. It's uh, sort of the, the the par three with, with with everything that happens there, and and the beer and the the wine and the the slightly nizzled uh, um, heads by uh, mid afternoon in many cases. And people wondering whether I mean Americans whether you meet them in the states around the the pool bar or whatever they are loud, aren't they? For to start with, they they get very loud. But um, fueled by the the drink, have they got too loud? Is this, is this going over the top for what is still now supposed to be, uh, you know, a serious event? Well, I'd be the last one to call time on a party, uh, and that's what the 16th hole has become. Yeah. Uh, they've got grandstands. It's like a football ground. They've got grandstands all the way yeah. around it. Uh, and if that works, that's fantastic. And uh, on the Saturday of the tournament. Uh, the organisers, in their uh, own words, lost lost control a little bit. The quote I loved the best was the, from the improbably named Chance Cosby, who is uh, um, chairman of uh, the Thunderbirds. Now, everybody thinks that uh, the PGA Tour has control over the tournaments, but actually each individual tournament has, only, has a promoter, and the Tour supply the scoring systems, the players, and all the PR and, and all the all the rest of what they do. But they don't actually own the tournament. So the Thunderbirds, charitable organisation of local businesses, this fella said, yes, we uh, we got it wrong. Uh, you'll see operational changes. And the kicker was nothing was off the table. Well, oh. that was probably true, wasn't it? There was, yeah. <laughs> everything was on the table, beers, everything you wanted. Uh, and they um, what they got, I think, was uh, into a, a bit of a muddle. Yeah. Yeah. On that Saturday, there was a rain today. The, the ground conditions were terrible. People were slipping down slopes uh, and they uh, they had this charge. They opened the gates at dusk and people run 
to find yeah. one of the two, 200,000 seats at the, at the 16th hole. Uh, and they start drinking there and then. They open the bars at dawn. Uh, and then they wonder why um, things go wrong. And uh, there were play delays as well on that Saturday. And also, I, I, I saw on, on Twitter, there was a bartender that was giving an interview. He said, literally, the, the play, the, there were so many people outside the gates. Mm. Uh, and, and once you create this atmosphere, um, then you get the non-golfing fans as well, which kind of is, is, is the debating point, really. Do we want that or, or do we want to yeah. just make it uh, golf? And do we have confidence in the golf or do we want to invite everybody because we want to grow the game? Mm. Um, and appeal to a younger audience and all of that. And, and some of that smacks of desperation. Anyway, what they what they did was they, they let the doors open and then the stewards on the, on the gates got fed up with it and let everybody in. Yeah. Uh, and the hospitality bars ended up letting everybody in. Uh, and there were some amazing stats. They had 1.1 million beers sold in a day. <laughs> they, they had 54 arrests. They had 211, I've got this all written down, uh, 211 people uh, ejected. They had fans fighting. They had the uh, the stars in the bunkers that the, that, that the pitch invade had uh, did. Um, they had um, Zach Johnson and and, uh, and and Billy Horshaw confronting players, uh, confronting spectators rather. Uh, and you have spectators then trying to sort of almost influence what's happening. Um, which is not not a, not a good look, but it'd be hard to judge the whole tournament on just one day. It's given us some great moments. Tiger's hole in one, um, yeah. way back in 1997. Uh, Sam Ryder had a hole in one, and that beer shower um, maybe was just on the on 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 the kind of limit. But um, uh, it would be hard to to say yes. What a terrible tournament! They must never do that again uh, on, because it actually has been the biggest um, the biggest attended. Uh, tournament in, in in the tour for for years, five out of seven times in the year. It was, uh, for the last seven years, it's been tournament of the year. So I think it's a great, I think it's a great event. And I like what they're trying to do, but this time it just got out of control. And I think that's more circumstantial. And and what you'll see maybe is more of a limited uh, attendance and limited bar sales next year. After, uh, other than that, I don't think they necessarily have to do uh, that much. And you're right. There's an American attitude that the fans feel that they have almost ownership of the right to do whatever they like. It's yeah. like Twitter. You can go on, say whatever you like, and there won't yeah. be any consequences. And that attitude bodes really badly for the Ryder Cup, which is going to be in New York, which uh, is not known for its um, quiet reserve types, really. <laughs> the, f the first time I ever went to uh, Flushing Meadow, I mean, I, I couldn't believe people sort of ordering hot dogs from the, the main courts and shouting as they do at yeah. baseball and everything else, no, you know. It's, it's but it's part different. of... See, I'm with you on this as well, because um, for one week in the year, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, that they, the players are excited to be part of it, as long as it doesn't in any shape get in, so involved that somebody gets injured or... Uh, somebody gets hurt, particularly players and uh, and other things because of this. Um, and uh, and I think I, I'm sure they'll find a way. And I I think it's early enough in the season as well um, for it to, to to continue. And and I hope they do. I really do. Well, it's a good week. I mean, we're in February, aren't we? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, there's 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 a good. It's a great spot for it because it's not in the mainstream. It's the lead up to uh, the the uh, the players' championship and the masters. Yeah. Uh, and and then they they go to to the Genesis this year uh, this uh, this week rather on a which is a completely different sort of event more of a garden party a very very you know well known ex exclusive club where you where you really have to uh, have to behave um, so they they know they they know they got it wrong uh, it would be really hard to 
to sort of sort of write the whole tournament off. It's got great history, as I said earlier. I mean, Hogan won it twice. Arnold Palmer won it three times. Mm-hmm. Byron Nelson won it a couple of times. It started in the nineteen thirties, and it's got great uh, uh, it's got great history. So, and also a great finish. I mean, there was some golf played as well. Yeah. Um, and well done to Nick Taylor from Canada, who birdied the last three holes, got himself in the playoff, birdied the first playoff hole. Uh, and Charlie Hoffman, again, great story later on his, in his career, 47. Yeah. He birdied it as well. And and uh, and, uh, and Nick Taylor birdied the, uh, the second extra playoff hole. So there was some great golf. And the the Sunday was, was much better. Oh, it was much better weather as well. Uh, so we didn't have the... Um, uh, the topless, the topless large people sliding down slopes, and and you know the crowd egging them on, and then there was there was you know and there's incredible stuff on on Twitter, people fighting. Uh, there was also a lady that fell out of grandstand as well. Yeah. Um, hopefully she's okay. I think she is. Uh, but stuff like that just can't can't happen. Um, and one of the interesting things is, I think with with golf, um, why is this different? Why is golf different? People might ask to football or rugby or whatever when the crowd can. Mm. get involved and say what they like and you know you can shout during a during a football match and it won't put the player off at all um and there's a difference i think what psychologists call it open skills and closed skills so open skills you can think of as uh, reaction mm. skills which happen in open play a closed skill would be like a rugby player mm. kicking a penalty uh, a footballer taking a penalty as well a golf shot or a serve in tennis now in all of those um without having it being explained, the crowd naturally knows that that they can put thing, put, put the player off. So generally, you'll get quiet uh, at Wimbledon. Quiet, you get you know, I was at Twickenham for the Wales game uh, the other week, and you get respect the kicker on the big screens, and people generally do. Um, and in these sports, it matters a lot that the player isn't distracted by a sudden sound or scream or, or by some. Uh, somebody in the in the crowd trying to put them off. So it does matter. The crowd behaviour really is important, uh, and uh, this idea that the crowds can can be part of the action and, and get away with that um, needs to be stamped out. I think that's it for this episode of Back of the Stand. And thank you to all my guests, and most importantly to you. Hope we've given you something to speak about. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. So from me, Mark Saggers. We'll take that step up to the back of the stand next time. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,